0: Hello, my name is Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday, the 31st of January. Coming up in today's show, I have an interview with Alan Fowler, who is an expert on contingency planning and has some extremely useful advice and interesting approaches for small businesses who are planning ahead for potential challenges. And this uh, piece sparked by an interesting piece of research from Krona on the amount of small businesses that are concerned about the impact of bird flu. Also coming up in the show, um, I review some of the the latest entries to the Frapper map, and very nice and interesting they are too, and uh, I cover off some comments. In addition to that, we have the return of the Small Biz Pod roving reporter Carl Barton with a great little interview that he has done for the show today. So, uh, to kick things off, um, I know I said in the last show that I'd be doing two a month, so I've just managed to squeeze Small Biz Pod number 22 into January, assuming I can get the file up um, soon enough. Um, so they are, ever true to my promise, if uh, a little late. I have got two others recorded, so February looks sorted. I may even squeeze in a third, so uh, I hope you look forward to those. So let's move on to some comments. Um, One comment through email this week, um, and it came from Phil Brown. Now, Phil Brown writes, "Um, Just thought I'd let you know about my new blog, since it was your podcast that inspired me to do it. Kind regards. Phil brown um, and phil 's blogs quite interesting actually. He uh, is setting up a, a bootstrapped business uh, which e- aims to turn waste vegetable oil or, or locally grown vegetable oil into biodiesel. Um And as I said to to Phil in an email back to him, um it's quite connected to podcasting in more ways than one, other than this show, this particular business idea. Uh, for those of you who might have listened to Adam Curry, who is commonly known as the the Podfather, his show is called The Daily Source Code, and uh, Adam runs a biodiesel car called uh, Liberty in San Francisco, um, although he, he lives in Guildford in the UK most of the time. So uh, yeah, so a link to podcasting. Um, so good luck with the blog, um, Phil. They're they're hard, they're hard work, but worthwhile, uh, like anything, I guess. And uh, good luck with the business idea. Uh, environmentally friendly businesses like that, I'm sure, have a great future with the the, the issues that, that the UK and the rest of the world have around energy resources. So uh, good luck. Um, and now moving on to some uh just some some highlights from the, the the Frapper map. If you've not visited the Frapper map for Small Biz Pod, if you go to the Small Biz Pod blog at www.smallbizpod.co.uk, uh, on the top right hand corner there you'll see the the little link to the Frapper map. And uh, the Frapper map's really just a a place where you can stick more or less anonymously, if you want, um, a pin in the map to say if you're a listener where you're listening from. And it's proving really entertaining. There's 35 people so far up there. Um, we've had people from, you know, all over the US, um, South America, as I mentioned last, um, week or the week before. Um, uh, Africa. I'd like to say a big, uh, a big hello to Ola Daly Ayuba, who I think is coming to the UK, uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, he's from, uh, Nigeria. So, uh, good luck with your business plans, Ola Daily. Um, Oleg Kurapov from Moscow. Uh, nice, nice little photo of Oleg behind a camera. Um, so, uh, thanks for that. And thanks to all the other guys who, uh, have commented and, um, stuck their pin in the map. Uh, also a big thank you to the, um, the two Australians. Last time I said, uh, on the show, I was amazed that there weren't any Australian listeners and and of course out they pop out of the wo- out they they, blah, they pop out of the woodwork and um uh, so a big thank you to um the Oz wine show hugo there um I think uh, was inspired to to start podcasting um by by me <laughs> in part and the absence of any sort of US of non-US wine podcasts so you know Australia really is a big home for wine and and I can see that show being very well listened to so I'm certainly going to check it out Um, and thanks also to Nathan Waters over in Australia for uh, his comment and you can visit his blog at nathanwaters.com you should also check out if you've not already done so the really rather marvelous photo of Condridge Dole so thanks Condridge for that uh, so yeah really entertaining thanks very much to to all of the others who've added their pin into the map uh, Martin Dooley in particular has a particularly impressive photo of himself so go check that out and that just about wraps things up in terms of sort of comments and feedback so let's move straight into uh, the interview section of the show and I thought I'd kick off with Carl Barton's roving
1: report Hello Alex and all the listeners to www.smallbizpod.co.uk It's Carl Barton, the roving reporter. I'm actually here today in an office in Staffordshire with Jim O'Neill who owns a business called European Business Exchange. Now this is a company that places foreign EU-based students within the UK to learn as a part of their degree course. He has a lot to say about... European business, the links between the two and also how students benefit from these types of placements within the UK. So without any further delay uh, Jim thanks for joining us today. What does European Business Exchange do on a day-to-day basis? We help firms in the UK take
2: advantage of our unique service. We help European students get a work placement in the UK. So for UK companies There's the opportunity to employ someone from Europe. It seems to be an unusual business to start. Why exactly did you start trading? Well, I retired from Staffordshire University 18 months ago. I'd done a lot of work in Europe through the university and also been involved in UK placements. So I thought I'd combine my experience of those two facets of uh, my work. To start the company. So what are the benefits to a company of actually placing one of your students? The company gets a low-cost, hard-working, creative employee. An employee who's going to be available for between six months and a year, who can work on a whole range of duties and opportunities for the business. So they can actually get a benefit of a resource they probably couldn't normally afford so what do your students actually experience The students experience working in England and the UK business experience they work in sales in marketing in finance in engineering in design in photography any type of business at all if they've got the qualifications they can work in the UK business and the benefit from them is that if they get this experience it counts towards their degree And they're more or less guaranteed a much better job when they go back to their home country.
1: What would you say to those people who would accuse you of taking these placements away from UK-based students? It's interesting that the UK
2: student does not want to do a placement year anymore. There's been a dramatic drop in the number of students who want to do this. It's mainly to do with student funding and the lack of grants and opportunities to finance your degree. So, students want a degree as soon as possible. So, the vast majority of students now don't take a UK placement. So, there's a dearth of students available for UK employers to use. What are the costs that are actually involved to a company? Well, the students have to be paid a training allowance, and this can vary from between ninety and one hundred and twenty pounds a week. but that depends on the individual company's circumstances where they 're located and what their profitability is. Secondly, the company has to pay an arrangement fee to me, and for that arrangement fee, we help the interview process to take place. We train students before they come into the company and we provide a backup service as well in areas like accommodation and if there are any problems with regard to the placement, which there rarely is.
1: Thanks for that, Jim. I've just actually managed to pull out of one of the classrooms here, Alex. One of the students is actually taking Jim's course on board at the moment. Uh, can I just ask um, your name and where you come from? My name is uh, François Kizel. I am come from France in North East, a town called Belfort near Switzerland. I arrived uh, three months ago. During my placement I have to redesign the the website and after I will uh, find some uh, possible customers to follow uh, Jim O'Neill's training is good before starting a placement. So as you can see it may well be an option for people's companies to take these European students on board There are many, many different skill sets from IT and marketing right the way through to design, work and engineering. Call Jim for details. It seems to be a very, very well thought out and worthwhile project. Jim, Francois, thanks very much for your time today. Much appreciated. Back to you, Alex.
0: Thanks very much, Carl. Uh, Really great to have uh, our roving reporter back. Um, And Jim's business sounds an interesting one, uh, extraordinary now that... Because of the the various debts that students in the UK have to incur, they just want to get in and out of the the further education system as quickly as possible and, and start earning uh, big money to to pay off those student loans. So yeah, I can see that as being a a great business for the future, and I'm sure uh, various UK companies will take advantage of that. Um, I've included a link to to Jim's website on the Small Biz Pod. Uh, blog. So uh, if you want to check him out, that's where you should go. Now, as I mentioned on the introduction to the show, um, a recent uh, survey by krona the employment law uh, and sort of small business legislation specialists, um, found that they were receiving an extraordinary number of um, telephone calls to their helplines from employers unsure if they should prepare for bird flu um richard smith who's employment services director there says no one really knows whether the virus will become a pandemic but after the un warning um we're advising employers to be prepared for the worst now um i guess you could call this a bit of opportunistic scaremongering um and a, a, a nice opportunity for a press release which this news came from but I thought, yeah, quite interesting anyway, Um, and more interesting from the perspective of um, small businesses, um, contingency planning. We all know that large-scale organizations have uh, a whole industry around uh, contingency planning, but what are the small business, and how can a small business prepare for something that may apparently have a, a negative impact that's on the horizon? So, um, it was a great pleasure to talk to Alan Fowler, who is a, runs a, a, a company that specializes in uh, contingency planning for businesses of all sizes. So let's go into the interview I did with him earlier on. Okay, so as we've heard, um, bird flu or the possibility of a bird flu pandemic should it transmute into a, 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 a disease or a, a passable between humans um, is becoming of increasing concern to a number of small businesses. Um, we've heard from Kroners earlier on today about the number of calls that they have been receiving to their hotline about concerned business owners so from a practical point of view um what is it possible to do to prepare for such a pandemic and and more importantly um although bird flu is an example of something that could significantly disrupt a business um, what kind of uh, methods uh, could one use to plan for um to, to plan better for contingency planning Um, I have with me today, I'm very pleased to say, Alan Fowler from Isochron Limited, which is a a business that specializes in um, looking at this type of contingency and project planning. Uh, And they do it in a a rather different way from others. But let's first say, uh, hello, Alan, how are you? Uh,
3: Hello, Alex, I'm fine. Um, It's a good to be on this program.
0: Good. And
3: uh, this is a very interesting subject.
0: It is indeed. It is indeed. So, I mean, if we just use bird flu as the, the hook ar- around which to, to talk about the broader issue of um, contingency planning for the moment, uh, what is your view? I mean, are there, are there realistically things that small businesses should be doing, should be thinking about in order to prepare themselves for a potential pandemic?
3: Yes. Um, it's probably not too soon to start to think about it. But as we've learned from previous crises, um, one has to keep these things in proportion, get on with day-to-day work. Mm. But uh, hindsight tells us that uh, the better prepared we are for things, the easier it goes when it happens. And I think it's true to say that the experts are agreed this is something that is going to happen in due course, probably between now and perhaps the end of 2007.
0: Indeed. So from a practical point of view, is this something that you can only really do anything about <clears throat> when uh, a pandemic hits, when you're certain of the facts, or, or how, do you, how do you predict?
3: Um, well, let, let's just look a little bit at some of the histories and statistics of, of avian flu and human flu to get this mm. in proportion. Um, the bird flu itself, which is confined, of course, to birds, except where people are in very close contact with them, yeah. was actually first identified 100 years ago, And even in the last, what is it, um, 10 years, Mm there have been over 10 occurrences of it. So it's not unfamiliar. Yeah. Whereas human flu is a little different. We've had three to four pandemics roughly every century, as far back as records go. And in this last century, there were 40 or 50 million deaths worldwide in 1918, 1919, there was the Asian flu outbreak of 1957-1958, which quite a lot of us still remember. There was a flu outbreak in 1968-69, and it's widely thought there would have been a human flu pandemic in 1997, except for the prompt culling of Hong Kong's entire poultry population. Yeah. So this the first thing to say, this is not unfamiliar, it's ground we've been over before and because it's happened before we have a pretty good idea of what is likely to happen and I think perhaps the first thing we would say is that people should begin to think about what's happened in the past um, and start to make some contingency plans which we can talk about in a little more detail in a moment I think the most important thing to start thinking about is well how will it affect your business and quite clearly the top Issue there is staff absences.
0: Yes I mean that it it could become not only an issue around individuals uh, within the business or employees in a business who who might go down with with some variant of flu but also presumably those who end up having to look after sick relatives.
3: Yes that's quite right Um, if again you look at the statistics by the World Health Organization they're expecting around 15 million casualties worldwide over six months. So first it's going to be spread they think over about six months. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Health reckons that about a half of the UK population will be infected at some time or another. Notice that a half is not likely to be affected. So the first thing to think about is that the idea that your business will be entirely stricken with flu is not probable though of course if you're a small business and there's only three or four of you then um, of course by bad luck all of you could have it at the same time yeah but a uh, larger business is 20 30 people it's probable a half your staff will still be around but you're quite right um, the uh, um, some staff will need to look after children and family mm. But there's another statistic in here, which is that if you spread out this flu over six months, which it's likely to to do, then actually the best estimates are as as, as few as ten percent of your company's staff may be off work at any one time.
0: Right. Yeah. And
3: that becomes, you know, something you can contemplate and cope with. Uh, the Cabinet Office said it's going to be like August for six months. <laughs> right, that's a good observation.
0: Well, that's a nice. I, I mean, from what I understand of the way Isaacron approaches these kind of issues, um, you come from quite a, a positive angle. You you end up looking at the the, the positive outcomes and working backwards. And certainly that uh, that August analogy is uh, is a definitely a half a glass half full approach, isn't it?
3: Yes, indeed. Uh, And we do, you're right, come at this from a positive angle. In fact, our studies, which are primarily around large programs and projects in businesses, Mm -hmm. suggest that when we prepare for the worst, which of course we normally prudently do, we can sometimes accidentally create the worst. And that by preparing for a good outcome, we can actually create uh, the results that we want. For example, if you're doing some forecast planning for a human version of this avian flu, then you'd be making contingency plans in due course. You'd be talking to staff about perhaps not going into large public places like football matches and so forth. Yeah, You'd arrange working from home. Um, you'd explain your policy on sickness, absence, and care. Mm-hmm. You'd think about what might happen to your supplier companies and to your customer companies, Yep. You'd start to worry about what would happen if the boss falls ill, or perhaps if you have a different attitude <laughs> to the boss, you wouldn't worry about what the boss what would happen if the boss falls yeah. ill. And you'd be telling people not to panic. Now, although that sounds very prudent and positive, actually it contains the seeds of overreaction. Mm-hmm. We do something radically different. We ask people to consider that it's the end of 2007, The flu has happened, just as predicted, but actually it didn't affect your business so badly as you'd originally expected. And then we spring the question, why was that? How did you avoid that? Yeah. And we get some subtly different answers, but our work suggests these answers, while subtly different, make a huge difference to what actually happens in your work
0: yeah i'm <clears throat> there is the the concept of um projecting projecting positive images that can you know us humans tend to t- tend to subtly work in different ways if we're projecting a positive image and that sounds similar to where you're coming from in terms of this um style of contingency planning
3: yes um let, let me just give you one or two examples the first thing you might realize if you envisage a good outcome Mm -hmm. is that you used the whole pandemic as a chance to test out several things that would be useful even after the flu was over for example you might have long contemplated increasing homeworking Uh, this is the time to explore it and get the processes firmly in place and that's going to be useful to you later on you might have been contemplating second sourcing your suppliers this is the time to start to work that up and after the flu pandemic's over, that may still be a valuable policy to have in place. You might be contemplating refreshing your policy on sickness, when yep. to stay off and care. Um, you can work that up for this flu, and then find it useful afterwards. And you may want to work up routines for coping when key employees are not available. Uh, again, um, that may be valuable after the flu pandemic is over so uh, you you start to look at the whole thing in a more positive light and realize that you can get some spin-offs from this reverse or backcast planning as we call it
0: yeah no, very very interesting and um uh, certainly a <clears throat> a much more a much more sort of positive outlook um, i mean I'm, I'm not not exactly seeing it as an opportunity but but you know coming coming at it from that point of view um is i think uh, an interesting one Um, in broader terms, in terms of contingency planning, um, many businesses will go through, you know, create large documents and, and, and detailed plans. What, what is your view about what practically small businesses should do, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of preparation, um, and, and, and how should they begin to assess um, from the other end, from the from from the from the end of the, the the potential challenge, if you see what I mean.
3: Well, small businesses cannot afford the effort. Uh, we think of creating massive documentation. We mm. have a phrase: minimum necessary change, minimum necessary effort. And again, we find if you start by planning from a positive outcome and then asking yourself, "How did you get there?" Backwards planning. Yeah. You inevitably get the minimum necessary set of tasks to produce that outcome. Um, We have found, for example, in very large IT programs that somewhere between 30 and 40% of all the effort that has gone in uh, was actually a waste of time with hindsight. And this hindsight planning greatly helps to keep the effort to the necessary minimum. So we would strongly recommend a backwards approach uh, if a small business wants and needs to keep its measures uh, to the level it can afford to to carry out.
0: I suppose the uh, the millennium bug had a little bit of um, over overreaction to it in terms of planning.
3: Yes, I think, again, with hindsight, everybody can see that. Uh, it was very interesting. I was involved in business contingency planning for a large company, hmm. and towards the end of the uh, pre-millennium period, we found that the risks that we had been monor- monitoring started to reduce very rapidly. And, of course, that was reflected in the event, which um, appeared to be less significant than everybody had feared. Although, I must say, I think that was due to very, very good contingency preparation and planning yeah. uh, in many organizations.
0: Yeah. Okay, Alan, I think that... It's been been interesting and very useful, um, and uh, I think somewhat reassuring as well, hopefully, to uh, Small Biz Pod listeners. So thanks very much for joining us today.
3: Thank you very much, and um, we'll see you the other side of the epidemic.
0: We will. All fit and healthy. Indeed. <laughs> thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. Bye. So there we go. That just about brings us to the end of today's show, keeping to my 30-minute rule. And uh, do please feel free to to comment. You can do that by leaving a, a comment on the Small Biz Pod blog at www.smallbizpod.co.uk or just send me an email at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. And they're always much appreciated. Any suggestions, advice, uh, hints, tips, all greatly welcome. Uh, and do uh, check out the flick Flick not the Flickr, the Frapper map. Flickr is a photo-sharing tool. The Frapper map, um, uh, because that's always good fun and uh, increasingly uh, interesting, I think. So uh, do feel free to uh, put your pin in the map. And finally, to some music. Now, it's been a long while since I've actually uh, put some really challenging uh, music at the end of the show This is going to rattle your cages, I would think. Um certainly did mine, but it's a brilliant sort of bohemian rhapsody for psychotic lurkers, is how I'd describe it. And Lurker is the name of the tune, and it's from the perhaps appropriately named artist, Sickmon.